0: Our scripture reading today comes from 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and Exodus 1 through 1, 8 through 10 and 13 through 17. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have, been, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Exodus 1, 8 through 10, and 13 through 17. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and war breaks out. They join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bear with hard service in mortar and brick, and all kinds of field work. In their work they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, and whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, When you serve as the midwife to the Hebrew woman, And you see them to the birth stool. If it is a son, you shall kill him. And but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat.
1: All right. I think. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Okay you can. (laughs) Gideon, great job reading for us. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, as you guys know, our elementary class is on break for the summer, right, starting today. Nothing on the third floor next door, either service. Um, So really glad to have you in here, kids. And I think you're going to enjoy your time with us this summer. Some of you will not go back upstairs to the third floor. This is something of a graduation summer for you. Kids, some of you are kind of planning to go back when the school year starts again. Um, and aren't you happy that we're talking about a school year being, being done and starting? That's great news. But listen, you may enjoy that you choose not to go back to the third floor at the end of the summer. And that's fine, too. Even if you're not graduating yet, we'd love to have you uh, stay with us. And just like Gideon read for us uh, young, young men and young ladies, if you would like to read, the catechism question, if you'd like to read the passage of scripture, uh, see Mr. Grant in the back or talk to Gideon, he can get you connected too, and we'll get you on the list so you can read during our services, either the, the scripture or the catechism question. Ron is walking around with some note sheets, and uh, kids, those are especially for you, but I, I used one this week, and I'm going to show you mine in a little bit. So parents, if you would like to use one of these along with your kids, uh, that is a socially acceptable thing to do here. And kids, uh, we'll talk about it during my sermon, okay? Um, Grant, hey, Grant, just can you make a slide with my phone number on it that we'll put up at the end? And then what I want, kids, if you're comfortable with it, like have your parent, make sure your name is on the sheet, okay? And then text it to me. Have your parents text it to me if you're comfortable with that. Because each week, like next week, I want to show some of the note sheets that you guys filled out. We'll put them up on the screen uh, so we can see them. Okay? So my number, we'll put that up towards the end of our, our time together. Let's pray, and we will get right down to work. Father, we want to pause for a couple of reasons. One, as a family, we just want to, again, recognize our dependence upon you and recognize that it's very likely that rather than exercising dependence, uh, very many of us probably uh, leaned more towards attempted independence and ran from you instead of running towards you this week. And so we repent of that, and we gladly sit back down at your feet, recognize you are our Father, you're good. And we need you desperately and recognize every good thing we have in life as a gift from your hands. And so, Father, we pray that you pour out your grace uh, on us this morning and give us life according to your word. We also want to pause and recognize that there is so much grief and heartache in our world. And we continue to pray for Uh, persons in Ukraine who are oppressed and vulnerable, and we continue to pray that you would stop the hand or stay the hand of the oppressor and rescue those who are oppressed, especially those who are most vulnerable. Father, there's so much trauma happening in the lives of children in that country, and we pray for your grace. We think of the families in Buffalo who are still grieving an incredible injustice and loss of life, and we pray that you would restore and that your grace would be discovered even in the shadows. Father, we think of the tragedy that unfolded in a Taiwanese church near Irvine, California last Sunday and loss of life there, and we pray that you would pour out your grace as that family gathers again this weekend and and mourns the loss of life. Father, we think of those in Uvalde as we've, we've all been tragically captivated um, by the incredible horror that's been experienced there this week, and so many families swept up into the shadows of, of a bloody city. And Father, we pray that you would be, we know you're in the shadows with these families. We pray that you would restore and renew and give space for these families to mourn Uh, And in their mourning, as they encounter your grace and your presence, that their mourning would not be without hope, that even in the darkest of night and the deepest of valleys, uh, your presence would not only give comfort and healing, but your presence would bring hope. And Father, we pray that there would be a change. we pray that there, that hearts of leaders would be open to appropriate changes, measured changes that would protect the most vulnerable people um, in our country, that kids would be prioritized above preferences and perceived rights, and Father, that you would give us hearts that are shaped more by uh, the first and second commandment to love God and to love people than they are shaped by any. And that we would have hearts that are shaped by uh, your sermon on the mount of gentleness and peace and love. Um, Father, please bring about those changes so that we don't have to stand and mourn incredible losses of life like unfolded in Uvalde this past week any longer. Father, we know we live in a broken world. We pray, Jesus, that you would return, and in your returning, we look forward to you righting all the wrong and eradicating all injustice and introducing a forever just and peaceful reign. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay. Let's get to work. So, a little confession. I, I'm an ordinary guy. I'm just an, I'm an ordinary guy just an ordinary guy. See how I did that? We always put the word just right before ordinary. I'm an ordinary guy. I'm an ordinary dad. You can ask my kids. I'm an ordinary pastor. I'm just an ordinary pastor. And for those of you visiting, you're like, man, this guy has really low self-esteem. So if you're not visiting, make sure you turn to that person and be like, no, he doesn't have low self-esteem. He just has really high self-awareness. He's an ordinary guy. Like he just strings together ordinary sermons and ordinary days. I'm, I'm an ordinary guy. And when my parents introduced me, they're like, hey, this is our son, Jonathan. He's, he's a really ordinary guy. He's, yeah, just get to know him. He's really ordinary. So I have a question for you. Should I be disappointed that I'm ordinary? Some of you are disappointed that you're ordinary. We carry around perceptions that our family members, our parents, are disappointed on us if we're not... More than ordinary. Do you ever think about the word extraordinary, too? We always use that to describe things that are better than ordinary, but are we really? Like if you're ordinary and there's a whole lot of extraordinary, aren't you just like all kinds of ordinary? You're so extraordinary. Thanks. Ordinary. We have voices deep down that tell us we need to do more and be better in order to be loved or accepted or approved of. We think that other people will love us more if we can prove that we're not ordinary. We get, that ki- we get those kind of words from other people, too, or maybe where you go to school or maybe where you work. Do more. Prove your worth. Be better. You'll be more accepted, more, more loved. Ordinary. Do you think God is disappointed that I'm ordinary? Ordinary. Do you think God is disappointed that you are ordinary? Do you think God is like, man, those people at Pillar, like I depend upon them so much to change the world. If they were just more than ordinary, better things would happen and more people would believe in me. Life would be more just if only they weren't so ordinary. You think that's how God thinks of us? Kids, man, I'm so proud of you. You're more sure of this than the adults (laughs) seated around you. Would one of you like to come up and finish this sermon? Because I'll sit down. Because I'm just going to give you another ordinary sermon. Ordinary. If we were being honest, we're saying no, but deep down we feel insecure that we are ordinary people. And we look around and we're like, man, that person's not ordinary. If I could just be more like them. Or we think, look, because here's the deal. When I was a teenager and young adult, there was a very popular Christian book by the name Radical. And there are all kinds of books and sermons and podcasts like that that intentionally or unintentionally communicate That ordinary is not enough. You need to be radical. The church, we're we're not enough if we're ordinary. And so we kind of begin to think, man, maybe I am a disappointment. Maybe God is disappointed in me. But what if ordinary, in God's eyes, is not a disappointment, but it's actually his design and he delights in it. He delights in your ordinary being. Now let me just show you, that I'm not making this up, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 that Gideon read for us a few moments ago goes like this, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to who? God and not to us. All right, so just three things I want to show you in this verse. First of all, jars of clay. So Paul's writing, he's, call, he's saying all of us are jars of clay. What does that mean? A jar of clay was a common, everyday, ordinary dish that would be in the kitchen. For example, in our kids' cabinet, like we got the high cabinets and we have one low cabinet where Emma, Johnny, and Owen have their plates and their cups and all the things. We have special cups or a special cup that is the subject of very many family debates. And we have a bunch of ordinary cups. You know what the special cup does? It changes colors based on the temperature of the liquid inside of it. But we only have one. Everything else is ordinary. What Paul is saying is, fam, just we got to be OK with this. Our family doesn't have the color-changing cup in the cupboard. We are all the ordinary cups. We don't change colors based on the temperature of the liquid inside of us, right? We're all common. But that's okay. We're common, but inside of this commonness, we have a treasure. We have a treasure. I'm going to show you that treasure here in a minute, but here's the purpose of the treasure. The treasure is within us to show that power in our family belongs not to us. We don't need powerful people. We don't need extraordinary people. You don't need to be radical. You need to be the ordinary common person that God created you to be. Be who God made you to be and run to your dad because he's the one with the power. Right? It belongs to him. All right. What's the treasure? Look at verse 7. Verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts. Okay? So God, he, he lit something up and showed it to us in our hearts To give the light of the, a lot of words here, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what's the treasure? The treasure is seen in Jesus. What does Jesus show us? He shows us the glory of God. What is the glory of God? It's to have a really big view of God as your father, that he is big and he's good and he's powerful and he loves me and he has the power that I need in life. Big view of God. That's the treasure that we have in our hearts in our common family. Now, this is good news of you because for your entire lifetime, you've been under the impression that God expects more out of you that ordinary is not enough with God. And you've been working really hard to be a better Christian and every week you fall short of that standard that you think exists out there. All the while God's like, "Hey, by my design, I created you to be an ordinary family filled with ordinary people. He's not putting that pressure on you. You and or other people are putting that pressure on your soul. God made you ordinary. He's not disappointed. It's his design. And he delights in you being the ordinary person that you are. So this summer, what we're going to do is have a sermon series that illustrates or shows us this simple truth in the lives of ordinary people in the Old Testament. Okay? So the sermon series is going to be titled, Ordinary People, Gospel Power. Okay? That's it, all summer long. And all summer long, we're going to find ordinary people in the Old Testament, and we're going to show how the power of God was at work in their lives for the good of other people. And you know each week I like to give you a big idea. So this week in my really good handwriting, and I'm, this is as good as it gets, so I'll just apologize in advance. Here's, my, here's a piece of my note sheet that all you kids have, and see where it says, what was the big idea? Here's the big idea, okay? What's the big idea? The big idea is courage to face fearful, big, bad kings. Sorry, that's more words than you're supposed to use in a sentence. But that's what I like to do. Comes from fearing the bigger, better king, okay? We'll leave it up there just one more second. Courage to face fearful, big, bad kings comes from fearing the bigger, better king. And then you notice, too, down in the bottom, just kids, you can remember where we were for these talks, um, 2 Corinthians 4-7. Corinthians is kind of long, so you can just write C-O-R in a period. Like That's how you would abbreviate that, 2 Corinthians 4-7. And then Exodus 1 is where our story comes from. Now, before we get into the story, you already heard Gideon read. Great job reading, by the way, Gideon. And did you hear the names of the two ordinary people that we're going to learn about today? We already heard there's a bad king, but then there, So if, Let's see, how can we remember this? Because bad king and brave ladies doesn't sound the same. How about bad leader and brave ladies? Or what we find out is they're midwives, so bad man, brave midwives, or they're doulas, so... Bad Dude, Brave Doulas, however you want to title this to remember. But you heard the names, right, kids? What, are, what were the names of the ladies? Did you hear them? Shipra and the one name everybody wants to say out loud in church. Pua. I didn't realize what I'd done, like, when we picked these stories until I, I like, a week ago, I read this out loud to myself. I'm like, oh, goodness, the first sermon we picked is about a girl named Pua. I'm going to have to say that, like, out loud 20 times in church. Pua, so not to be confused with Pua, right? You guys, but look, I do lots of creative things to help me remember stuff about the Bible. So maybe this helps you remember Pua is, uh, which person, which character in the picture is named Pua, do you know? The The pig, all right. Pua the pig. Does anybody have a stuffed Pua? One, two, and a bunch of you that don't want to admit it. It's all right, guys. Boys, it's Okay. I know it's your sister's stuffed animal. (laughs) All right, so Shipra and Pua. So what we're going to see is bad king, brave ladies. But these are common ladies, ordinary. Okay, There's not something extraordinary about these two two women that we're about to meet. They're just like us. And I'm going to show you one of the ways they're just like us. All right, so Exodus 1. Let's look at our bad king first. Exodus 1. So in verse 8, we learn that there is got to be in chapter 1. Here we go. There is a new king over Egypt who doesn't remember Joseph. What does that mean? Remember Joseph's brothers sold him as a slave, and he ended up in Egypt. He ended up in jail, but then he was really good at interpreting dreams. And before long, he found himself as almost a vice president in the country, like second in command. Like he found himself in a really important position. And then he invited all of his family members to join him in Egypt. Do you remember why? Why do they have to go to Egypt? Yes, in the back. He did. Isn't that a beautiful story? His brothers all show up, and they're afraid, and they think Joseph is going to be angry and kill them. But instead, that's a great answer. Instead, he forgives them. And not only does he forgive them, he invites everybody to Egypt so that they can have enough food, okay? So they all go to Egypt. And they had an agreement between the government, the king of Egypt, and Joseph's people, the Hebrew people. But kings died, and Joseph died, and the agreement was forgotten, and all of a sudden there were a ton of Hebrew people there. And the the new king of Egypt was worried about how many of Joseph's relatives were there, And he said, what do he say in verse nine? He said, "Man, the people of Israel are so many and too mighty for us." In verse 10 he talks about, what if war breaks out and they join our enemies? So we need to do something about how many of Joseph's grandkids are living in our country. And so here's this bad king. Let me just show you kids, if you want to like see some words in this chapter that show you how bad of a king or a leader he was, let me show you some words. In verse 10, he decided to deal shrewdly with them. Any, anybody want to tell me what shrewdly means? That's kind of a tricky word we don't use a whole lot. We have shrews running around in the yards here, and they're gross animals. Anybody shrewdly? It's kind of like to trick somebody, right? To deceive them, to make, to make, your, to make somebody in the neighborhood think that you care about them. And you're going to do something good for them, but all the while, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're going to trick them and look out for yourself. So verse 10, he's going to deal shrewdly with them. Verse 11, he wants to afflict them with heavy burdens. Verse 12 says that he's going to oppress them. Right, he's not going to be just. He's not going to be kind. He's going to hurt them. Verse 13 says they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. So he made them slaves, and he was ruthless. I know you think your parents are ruthless with your chore chart, but they're not. Not like this, okay? Verse 14, he, look at this, this sounds really sad. He made their lives bitter with hard work. He took all the joy out of life. No parties, no celebrations, no holidays, no playtime, no happiness, no smiles, work, pain, sadness, And more work, more pain, more sadness, bitter. Later in verse 14, it says, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Bad king, okay, bad leader. Bad leader. Just destroying people. And he comes up with a plan. He's like, I know how to get rid of all of these people. I will keep track of when they're having babies And I will have the Hebrew midwives. Uh, A midwife would be something like a doctor who specializes in babies being born. Some of your moms are doulas. None of your dads are doulas that I know of. Any doulas in the room? Yeah. Yeah. all right. We got some doulas, right? So that's what these ladies are. They help babies be born. So the king says, look. Shipra and Pua, now Shipra and Pua probably weren't the only two midwives or doulas, they were probably in charge of the midwives and doulas, okay, and the king calls them in and he says to them, look, when your midwives are present for the birth, if you find out it's a boy, I want you to kill the boy, or just make sure the baby boy can't live, don't care for the boy, I know, right? But if it's a girl, that's okay. Let the girl live. That was the king's plan to make the population shrink over time and get rid of of the Hebrews. Now, let me ask you a question. Based on everything we just read about this evil bad king, guys, what do you think he would do if these two ladies chose to disobey him? What do you think he would do to the ladies? What do you think? I think so. I think the king was so powerful and so evil that if two slaves dared disobey him, he would probably hurt them, probably hurt their families, and kill them. So imagine you are Shipra or the one you want to be, and I'm not going to say her name again on purpose, look at that, and you leave the king's presence, how do you think your heart feels right now with the choice that he just gave you? kill babies and live, or rescue babies and die? How do, they think, how do you think they respond? Let's see. Verse 17. But the midwives feared God. Remember our big idea? Courage to face fearful big bad kings comes from fearing the bigger, better king. So they feared God, the bigger, better king, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the baby boys live. So we just met two important words in that verse, fear God. Um, Let's do a little work on this together because kids and everybody, doesn't it sound a little odd Because Shipra and Pua are probably afraid of the bad king, right? Would you be afraid of the bad king if he could kill you? I would be. So in the same sentence, we learn that they're supposed to be or that they're also afraid of God. Do you think it's the same kind of fear, like afraid of an evil king because he can kill you, but also afraid of God? Do you think it's the same fear? What do you think? If you didn't use the word fear here to describe this, what word might you use? Well, let's do some exploring. What do you think it means to fear God? Um, I'm just going to tell you right away what I think it means. Um, I I do think it means fear God, but I think we need to kind of do a little work to understand that word fear. Um, I think a better word might be to be in awe of or to see that something is so big and so awesome that it controls the way that I live, like in a good way. What is the most awesome thing that you have ever seen that's been life-changing for you? Any any kids or adults? Awesome that you can say here. (laughs) Nobody. All right, let's do a little work. What's that? All right, so childbirth is awesome. I saw a picture of the Grand Canyon this week. One of my friends is like on horseback around the Grand Canyon. He finds that fun. I find that terrifying. <laughs> uh, to me, that's awesome. Like, the Grand Canyon's awesome, and I respect the incredible thing that the Grand Canyon is, so I would stay away from the edge. Of, right? It would control the way that I live. It's so awesome. It's fearful. Well, let's do a little work. What is the fear of God? Okay, let's answer this question. Uh, first, I want to take you to a couple verses in Proverbs, and here, here's one. This is Proverbs 9. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay? So in other words... Whatever the fear of God or the fear of the Lord is, it leads you to live a wise life. You live well. You make good choices. You make good decisions, decisions that are good for you and good for the people around you and that are honoring to God. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Here's another one. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is, did you know you were allowed to hate things? Hatred of evil. So when really bad things happen to other people, you can hate those things. God hates those things. God hates injustice. He hates unkindness. God hates mean words. God hates cruel actions. God hates those things. So to fear God is to hate evil. We hate when bad things happen to other people, and it makes us sad. That's the fear of the Lord. Here's another one, Proverbs 14, 26 the fe- this, oh, this fits with our story so well. Whatever the fear of God or the fear of the Lord is, it gives our hearts strong confidence. Remember, that's our big idea. Where does courage come from? It comes from fearing God. And his children will have a safe place, will have refuge. Look at this one. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It gives life. If you fear God, God gives life to your heart. All right, one more, and then we can kind of we'll, we'll, we'll put it all together. This is from Deuteronomy, a little bit longer, but let me read it for you, okay? Now Israel, and that would be another way of God talking to his kids, like, hey, if you're one of my kids, what do I require of you? Here's what I want. The first thing our dad says to us, here's what I want. This is most important. I want you to fear the Lord your God. And so maybe they were a bit like us, and they're like, well, fear you? What what does that mean exactly? Look at This is the clearest definition of what it means to fear God. If we fear God, we walk in his ways, right? He lives the way that he's called us to. He lives the way that he teaches us to. We love him. Now, that would be curious if fearing God meant to be afraid of him like we were afraid of a bad guy or a powerful bad king. It's got to be something different here. Because you can't love somebody you're afraid of, and you can't be loved by somebody who strikes fear into your heart because they're hurtful to you. So it's got to be a different kind of fear, okay? So to love God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today, for your good. So the fear of God sees even the hard things that he asks us to do or not to do is good for us. And here's part of the reason we fear God. Look at this next verse. Behold to the Lord your God belong heaven. Look at this. Look at this, guys. This should capture our imagination. God owns heaven. So all the stars, as far as we can see, God's in charge of all of that. And then the heaven of the heavens, the stars over the stars, the farthest place that our spaceships haven't even been yet. God created those places and he's been there and he's in charge of them. And he's in charge of the earth and everyone that is in it. So look at that. If that's what Shipra and Pua understand, how does that change the way that they think about the big, bad, fearful king now? Wait a second. The big, bad, fearful king lives in the earth. God's in charge of the earth. And it says, it says that everything belongs to God. Everything on earth belongs to God. So who does the big, bad, fearful king belong to? Who's in charge of that guy? Who's in control over that guy? God. So I like pictures. That's how I remember Bible verses. In fact, all of my sermon notes are pictures. I used to write words. Now I, my counselor's like, John, you just need to rediscover that happy little boy who was in kindergarten. I'm like, well, he drew a ton of pictures. So I draw more pictures now. So here's my sermon notes for this week. Do uh, you, you think I'm joking? I'm not joking, there they are, right there, that's it. And I did draw this, but guys, how many of you are just good artists, like just naturally, it's how you were born? Raise your hand. All right, we got some artists in here. The rest of us, here's how I drew this, ready? I googled stick figure king. I googled stick figure, I don't wanna give it away, but all right, so I have two scenes, okay? Um, Scene one, that is to help me remember 2 Corinthians. I know it's kinda hard to see, but I have a dad with number one dad on his t-shirt. And he has two jars. And on each jar, it says power. Can you see that? And he's pouring it into the jars of clay that his kids are holding. So they're getting their power from their dad, because we're all ordinary kids, and it's our dad who gives power. So that's scene one. Scene two, kids, only kids. Can you tell me whose boat that is? Who's on the boat? Can I give you a hug? Yes, I did it. That's what I was trying to do. That's Moana's boat. Can anybody guess why I would have drawn Moana's boat? Pua, because Pua's on the boat. So that's how I remember this story, Pua, okay? And she won't be insulted that we associated her name with a pig's name. She's probably laughing. All right, so here's, here's what I want to show you with my picture, though. If the fear of God gives us confidence, right, Notice my boat, some of my, some of my pencil lines disappeared, sorry. The boat's supposed to be sailing towards something. What is it sailing towards? A big, bad, fearful king, right? See the mean king? It's kind of hard to see. What, what is the wind moving the boat towards the king? The fear of God. Guys, that's our big idea. We are ordinary people. Shipra and Pua were ordinary people who would not want to go towards a big, bad, fearful king. But what makes or compels or helps ordinary people like you and me do hard things that are dangerous for the good of other people? It's the fear of God. The fear of God is wind in the sails of ordinary people. And when the wind of God blows into our sails, it moves us towards risky, dangerous situations where other people are being hurt or oppressed, or mistreated, or spoken to in a mean way. And it causes us to want to stand up for them and to choose to do the right thing for the good of other people, even if it means we might be hurt or thought poorly of or rejected by other people we would like to accept us. Okay, So that's what we're learning here. The, the fear of God is wind in the sails of our hearts, that even though we're afraid, moves us towards the big, bad, fearful king or a dangerous situation for the good of other people. And the fear of God, so I have a good king above my bad king. Do you see that, kids? Why do you think I drew my good, powerful, bigger, better king right there? Because he's God, and he's over all things, and... He's even over the big bad. He is more powerful than the most powerful bad in my life. God's in charge. God's over all of those things. So if God, my dad, is in charge and in control, and he's better and bigger and more powerful, why would I have to fear the big bad kings in my life? The fear of God is life-giving, and it's like a wind that fills our sails and moves us towards Danger or risky situations for the good of other people. All right, got to wrap it up. Back to Exodus 1. Pharaoh calls him in. He's like, hey, why didn't you obey me? Now, I want to show you something, kids. I want to show you, and adults, that Shipra and Puerh are ordinary people who are still very afraid of this big, bad king. Even though they chose, even though the fear of God led them to do the right thing, they lie to the king. Here's what he asks them. He's like, why did you disobey me? And Shipra and Pua said, well, king, listen, the Hebrew women, they're not like your women. They're vigorous and they give birth even before the doctors can show up. Now, is that partially true? Maybe. Probably. Maybe. I don't even know that we could say probably. Maybe. But do you think it's really true that all the Hebrew baby doctors stopped going to the deliveries? That's not what happened. What happened was Shipra and Pua told all the other midwives, we're not going to kill the baby boys. We're going to help the ladies give birth, and we're going to take care of baby girls, and we're going to take care of baby boys. But now let's put ourselves in Shipra and Pua's shoes. They feared God, and they made this good decision, but now they're going to answer to this king, and the king might kill them. And what do we see here? We see that Shipra and Pua are just like you, and they're just like me. They did a brave thing because of the fear of God, but now when they have to go face-to-face with this bully, this bad king, they don't quite tell the truth because they're afraid they might die. What does that tell us, guys? It tells us that everybody in God's family is an ordinary kid. And that even though we might be brave because of the fear of God, it doesn't mean that we won't ever be afraid of the big, bad, fearful kings in our lives. Those two emotions can exist in our hearts at the same time. We can have confidence and do the right thing because we have a big view of God. He's over everything. But we can also have fear at the same time because of some of the scary, broken, mean things in our lives. We're ordinary people like Shipper and Pua. Notice what God did for them, though. Next verse, Uh, it says, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. God was kind to them because they chose the fear of the Lord. Did you know that that's never changed? For all those who fear the Lord, God gives you a family. Now, it doesn't mean that you will definitely get married. It doesn't mean that if you fear God, you're going to have 12 babies or more. It doesn't mean that if you fear God, all your dreams are going to come true. What it means is, if you fear God, you're going to find yourself adopted into a family that looks just like this one. And you're going to have more moms and dads than you can ever count. You're going to have more brothers and sisters than you can ever count. And you're going to have more sons and daughters than you can ever count, because you live life together in God's family full of ordinary kids. So just like God gave Shipra and Pua families because they feared God, even still today, if you fear God, he adopts you into a family, and he loves you so well through an imperfect family full of ordinary people. All right, let's wrap it all up. Here's, here's my entire sheet, kids, just so you can see it all at one time. I know it's probably too small to see, but I got the big idea there, and then the picture, and then notice the bottom corner where it says, what does this teach me about God or the gospel? Right? I just wrote down some ideas as I worked on my sermon. I wrote, power belongs to God. I said, God's family is full of ordinary people, so that's me too. I wrote, the fear of God equals awe. In other words, like the fear of God is looking at God and seeing him as bigger and better and then being brave and having confidence because of that, right? I wrote, God is good and kind, because isn't he? Look at the bad king said, kill all the baby boys. How kind is God? he sent some ordinary ladies that he gave courage to to make sure a whole generation of boys could live. You know what that means? A whole bunch of baby brothers lived. A whole bunch of older brothers lived. Cousins lived, uncles lived, and future daddies lived. God is kind and good. He's nothing like the big, bad, fearful kings in our lives. The gospel is good news. How? God gives us family when we fear the Lord. All right. Let me close it with a question, kids. Three questions, okay? Here's the first question. Can I give you some homework? I want you to, because really this is homework for your parents, but I'm giving it to you because I know you will make them do it. You're my greatest ally, okay? Here we go. I want you to sometime today or this week, ask your parents to tell you a story of sometime in their life, their life, when they chose to do a brave thing because they feared God. In other words, they took a risk for the good of somebody else because they feared God. Can you ask them that story? Ask them to tell you that story, and then you can tell me next Sunday, okay? All right. The second question is, we don't have big, bad, fearful kings anymore. But there are a lot of big, bad, fearful people in our lives that hurt other people who God cares deeply about. So I just want to ask you, who in your life, I don't need their names. Maybe you just write it on the paper. Who at your school or in your neighborhood or Uh, adults, at work, or in your neighborhood, or in your home, is somebody that is fear-inducing, or striking fear, or doing injustice. Where are the suffering people around us, and what is the brave thing that we could do, motivated by the fear of God, that would take a risk for ourselves for the good of somebody else? Okay. So kids, what's your first homework assignment? What are you going to go home and do? Ask. Yeah. Ask those stories, okay? All right, let's pray, and then we're going to sing a song together. Father, uh, we thank you that you are the bigger, better king. We all need to see you for who you are. We need a big view of you. Some of us have fear. Some of us have sadness or anxiety. We're paralyzed, And the only thing that's going to set us free and give us life and give us a heart of wisdom is to live in the fear of God. So, Father, please, this morning and this week, give us a clear view of how good and how big and how loving you are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.